640 Toronto presents Think Tank. Two guests, Toronto's top stories. Now, let's meet the guests. And we will do just that this morning. It's great to have you back for Think Tank. We run it uninterrupted all the way through our 7.30 to 8 o'clock half hour. And we're very pleased uh, to welcome on to the show. Uh, He's a lawyer, professional as well, uh, Faisal Kuti. It's great to have you on. Thanks very much for making the time. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And a familiar voice to 640 listeners, 640 uh, Toronto contributor and uh, host of TVO's The Agenda, which will be live tomorrow night, unless I'm absolutely reading the wrong cue cards. Steve Pakin joining us. And you've got an Ontario Liberal Party debate. What what more do these people have to talk about, Steve? <laughs> I hope we're going to find that out tomorrow. And yes, we're, we're live streaming it at three in the afternoon mm. on the Agenda's YouTube channel, but then it will be replayed in our regular 8 and 11 p.m. time slots. Thanks for the plug. Absolutely. Well, before before we get into um, uh, working out some uh, some topics here, you were at this award show last night with Rick Mercer emceeing, uh, sponsored by Scotiabank, the Scotiabank Giller Prize, and you saw some uh, some things happen. What happened? Greg, it was a little bizarre, i got to tell you. First of all, this is the 30th anniversary of this prize. It's the richest prize in Canadian um on the Canadian literature scene, and and it's always been sort of fun and uneventful. Uh, last night, uh, it was different. Yeah, some people had managed to sneak in, and just as Rick Mercer was uh, starting his routine, um, they crashed the stage. I guess about two of them walked up on stage. Uh, there was a third as well shouting somewhere in the room, and they had signs that... Uh, Frankly, uh, I, I'm not sure anybody really understood what was going on. Uh, it, it was an odd scene, Greg. They were just sort of shouting out slogans that not everybody could could understand. And as you, when you played the clip just a few moments ago, <laughs> you did hear, I mean, Rick did something very clever, which was he tried to, to he used a clever line off the top. Like, Are you nominated? When the person came up on stage. Uh, obviously the person was not. And then when the person, when they continue to shout out slogans, Rick looked at the band and he cued the band. Oh, he cued the band. Okay. He (laughs) He cued the band and got them playing. And then, and then, you know, the police moved in, moved everybody out. And, and that was it until the end, they did it again at the end. There was somebody else in the room who had also snuck in and they, uh, over the winning, Mm. over the winner, winner's name, uh, also started screaming. So they actually had to announce the winner twice because nobody got it the first time around. Um, you know, okay, I get it. People want to make a point. It was related to the war in the Middle East. Uh, but but I don't think anybody really got it or figured it out. It was also bizarre. And the first protester who came up on stage held his sign upside down. Yeah. Did you think he did that on purpose? Because I'm still, um, these are the things I think about lying in bed at night instead of wondering why am I doing what I'm doing, but I couldn't figure out whether he did it on purpose or not. I didn't think so, but you know, it, it the whole thing had a, a sort of a Keystone Cops uh, yeah. sensibility about the whole thing. And but on the other hand, you know, had had they wanted to do damage, it could have been very scary. So mm. uh, you know, obviously, um, I, I presume they're going to look at security more tightly for next year. Yeah, with the, yeah, the security won't be nominated uh, for the Giller Prize for uh, for 2024 is uh, is the best way to put it. Um, let's move to this tragic story. We both, uh, all three of us, found out last night um, that we thought she was Canada's lone Hamas hostage. It turns out the Hamas terrorists didn't kidnap, but they killed her. Vivian Silver, 74 years old. It took five weeks for her to be discovered and identified, but it's now believed per information 
information her family's received um, that she was murdered on October 7th. It's a big gut punch. I want to hear you uh, let everybody hear a clip from Vivian's son who was holding out some hope when he spoke to Mercedes Stevenson from Global News just two weeks ago that he'd find his mother alive. The first thing I want is information to know that she's there and alive. Then I would want, you know, efforts to be made to make contact with her, to know that she's well, not just alive. It's very difficult um, to think about the grief uh, and the not knowing uh, may end up being the worst. Faisal Kuti joining us, lawyer and law professor. What are your emotions when you see uh, this story come to a tragic end? I mean, just, just the emotions that any any you know human being would have, which is you know, obviously it's depressing and, and 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 sad to hear you know people in that kind of situation played. I mean, I you know obviously just like everyone else, I condemn uh, the death of any uh, innocent civilians, the hostage taking of uh, civilians. Uh, these are things that anybody can join in condemnation, and it's just, you know I mourn. The, the 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 death or targeting of any of these uh, civilians, right? I mean, I was just in the mosque on on Friday, and uh, I met a Palestinian friend of mine, and he was sitting there depressed, uh, reading from the Quran. And you know, then I went up to him to give him my uh, my my greetings, and then I learned from him that eight of his family members uh, were killed, and that's just three days after hearing a professor friend of mine at the University of Toronto, who's Previously, had lost three of his daughters in this conflict prior to October 7th. Uh, three of his daughters were killed. And uh, last week, he found out 14 of his family members were killed. I mean, so, so mm. the sad fact, the reality, and the emotions you talked about, you both talked about at the, at the Scotia Killer Prize, the reason people are upset is, is, is understandable. Uh, you know, people are dying on both sides. And unfortunately, now, you know, it's not both sides as much now. It, it's now the Palestinians were paying, Palestinian civilians were paying the price. And and, and the, the protesters yesterday, were, and I want to comment on that because... Of course. That was mentioned. Uh, you know, they were, they were what they were doing, many people would disagree with it, but they, what they were doing is, is, is exercising their fundamental right to protest. And that's, that's the only thing they're capable of doing to try to influence the politicians who are not calling for a ceasefire, given the situation. And the Scotia Bank was being was being sanctioned, was being protested there because they've invested five hundred million dollars in airbait systems, which is the largest arms supplier to the Israeli government. So, of course, people are going to be upset when when they are now, uh, you know. Uh, funding this award, and they've been funding this award for sure. many years, but this, this has to be publicized, right? And some F- people are, Faisal, are, are acting. what's the private line here? Could someone burst into the studio right now and interrupt our, our show in the same manner? There are lines. What are the lines? If, like, if you, It's okay if I say I think one was crossed last night and you say it wasn't, but what are the lines? No, I, I, don't, I don't personally believe that we should be, you know, interfering in, 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 in private situations. But the issue is this. I mean, Scotiabank and, and many of the banks, unfortunately, have uh, taken one-sided positions on these issues. Okay, And so people are upset. And I'm not justifying what they did. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm trying to put some context around this. And so I, I don't think what, you know, I, I yeah. would not personally go do something like that. But our people are, their emotions are running very high and people are doing and saying things on both sides that is not conducive to resolving the issue but people when they make these decisions they're not sitting rationally 
thinking like us here. Now we're trying to have a rational discussion here, but people just kind of react, right? And they're seeing death and destruction. And of course, they think this is how they're going to solve this. Absolutely. Steve, when you see the story about Vivian Silver, uh, again, maybe we held out hope. Maybe when we saw hostages released, when we see photos of hostages, we think, okay, maybe this will start a run, if you will, of hostages being released and some exchange between the two sides. Unfortunately, it ended quite terribly with her murder. And that is the heartbreak of all of this. But I'm, I'm happy to try to put some context around this story as well, which is that apparently if you're a 74 year old woman who actually moves to Israel and tries to live near Gaza because you want to devote your life to improving relations between Palestinians and Israelis, and in fact have gone into Gaza and have taken people from Gaza to hospitals in Israel in order to get them treatment because she knows that the facilities in Israel are better, uh, despite dedicating your life to that mission, uh, you're just as likely as anybody else to be slaughtered by Hamas when they decide to make a sneak attack across the border. So that's the context I'd add to this. Yeah, I think, uh, again, uh, I just got a message from uh, from somebody listening, and I'll let you both of you guys know, and, and you can comment on it, um, meaning people are, are even upset by people documenting that just saying Vivian Silver has died. They want it to be said she was taken hostage and killed by Hamas terrorists. But, Faisal, to your point, um, we are really in the weeds on parsing words, but that's the emotion of the person. They're allowed to feel that way when we talk about what Israel is doing, um, whether or not we deem it indiscriminate or discriminate, you know, discriminating in terms of going after Hamas, indiscriminate in terms of not caring about it. Somebody got upset when I used the phrase collateral damage. I'm like, I'm not in the military. These are horrifying examples of collateral damage, but that's how Israel would describe it. We're really we're stuck on words right now and we're not getting too many places with how we're using them. Oh, I agree. I mean, I agree with Steve, Steve that, you know, people, that's the problem. Innocent people, when they're killed, we, we don't know, uh, you know, we, we, we don't know who's getting killed in, in this process right now. Now, we know, according to Save the Children, over 4,000 children have been killed in, 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 in Gaza. Children were killed on the Israeli side. Children have been kidnapped, they say. So, uh, you know, we have to understand that innocent people are, are, are being taken out here in this war. And what we need to do is to stop it. And I don't even call it a war because it's really a, a, now at this stage, it's not a war anymore. It's really a massacre. And I'm not saying this lightly. Uh, genocide scholars, very prominent genocide scholars, including Israeli genocide scholars, have jumped onto the ship. Uh, you know, I, I can mention name, Raz Segal. Omar Bartov, William Shabbat, the leading expert on genocide, has said, now this is now crossing the line, has crossed the line, right? And of course, none of this is to justify. Whenever I, we start starting contextualizing this, it, trying to analyze something is not justifying it. I, I, nobody in their right mind can justify what Hamas did on October 7th. But nobody should also justify what's been happening for 75 years prior to that. Remember, there is a right to resist, right, under international law. Mm -hmm. And as an international law, a lawyer, I'll tell you that there is a clear right to resist under, you know, United Nations General, uh, General Resolution number 2625, 1970. And the charter basically indicates that people who have the right to self-determination have the right to resist. And many scholars argue that right exists under customary international law uh, as well, just like Israel has the right, had the right to defense when they were attacked. 
on October 7th. Anybody who tells you Israel did not have the right to defend itself would be wrong. But at the same time, what is that response and how do you respond to that? That's right. That's right. I mean, uh, let me make the point that the the idea that this is genocide is not a universal opinion. And there are scholars on the other side that document Israel's explicitly said they want to exterminate Hamas. They're not trying to destroy a religious group. They're not trying to destroy an ethnic or racial group. The goal is to end Hamas. And so uh, my point is we could argue 20 minutes about it. And it's not a universal principle that genocide is being committed by the Israeli Defense Forces. Is that fair? Of course, it's it's not a, it's not universally agreed, but unfortunately, the, the you know, as an observer here, I'm not Palestinian. I've been a human rights advocate for years. I, as I told you before, I can't even uh, yeah. perform my my um, my Hajj to to Mecca because I criticize the Saudi government. I uh, I criticize the Iranian. I criticize everyone. So what I'm not I'm not singling out as some people do. You know, mm-hmm. unfortunately, some people just always jump on and attacking Israel. I'm not one of those individuals, but at the same time, if you see the statements that, that comes out of Netanyahu, that comes out of many of his ministers, that come out of all these people, and you saw on live TV, and unfortunately, yeah, yeah. the mainstream media is not showing a lot of that. I have to watch social media and Al Jazeera to get this kind of coverage, which these are genocidal statements. I'm not saying that this meets the legal test as of yet, okay? but clearly war crimes are being committed, crimes against humanity committed by Hamas. And by it's, it's a word. It's a the genocide word's a word that's in the ether. Um, that's uh, Faisal Kati joining us. Uh, we've got Steve Pagan. Steve, before you storm the stage, um, and uh, and the band starts playing, let's give you some time on this context. <laughs> well, uh, you know, the last thing that Faisal said, I think, I think everybody can sign on to. Israel needs to live in security. There needs to be justice for Palestinian people. That's the world's mission. Why don't we get on that and 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 see what we can do on that? Um, it just seems to me that there is a now, uh, you know, because of what happened on the 7th of October. And again, I agree with Faisal. It depends when you want to start start the clock on this thing. Some people want to start the clock 75 years ago. Uh, some people want to start the clock on the 7th of October. I don't know when you start the clock. I'm not an international affairs expert, but the reality is we are where we are. Mm. And and when the two sides when Hamas has decided it's had enough of terrorizing Israelis, and when Israel has decided it has responded adequately to the uh, 7th of October attack, maybe all sides, and maybe the United Nations can be involved in this, maybe there's a role for the Canadian and American governments in this, I don't know. But maybe we can get to the bigger picture here, which is we've all had enough of this, and we've got to find... Uh, we've got to find a way for justice for Palestinians, and we've got to find a way to make sure Israelis can live in peace without fear of terrorist attack. That's the project. That's the big prize we've got to put our eyes to right now. It, it was agonizing. I played a clip earlier of Bill Clinton, and they, it surfaced from 2016, and he said uh, he basically used the phrase, I killed myself trying to get a, an agreement, and we were so close. They were almost there. And we just, yeah, in 1993, and we just couldn't get it past the finish line. I want to move on and give you these sort of standards, because I saw this yesterday. Um, I couldn't put it better than that. Leave it to the youth of today. A McGill poli student wrote this. And I thought we should be able to break bread about these three principles. So I'll read them to you. Uh, Hamas is a horrific attacks or terrorism, not resistance. Israel has a right to defend itself and must minimize Palestinian casualties. Israelis and Palestinians all deserve to live in peace. Let me, Steve, let me circle back around. Steve, let's start with you. 
these are these should almost be like we should almost be signing these with pen and paper before we have conversations with anybody, because then we know we're dealing in good faith if we can agree on these three principles. Is that fair? Uh, I think it is. Uh, I mean, those three principles seem to me pretty basic, uh, comprehensible. Um, That's a real good mission statement. Now, here's my question. I mean, the one the one line that we have always heard over the years and and I'd love uh, Faisal's uh, take on this. The one line we've heard over the years uh, has always been, if if the palace if the Palestinian terrorist groups like Hamas decided to stop attacking Israel, there would be the opportunity for peace. If if Israelis decided to put down their weapons, that would be the end of Israel. That is one line that I have heard over and over again over the years, and and you know I, I would love to it. It has an, uh, a sound of truth to me, Greg. It has a sound of truth to me. Uh, it, we, the mission statement you just read, that's where we've got to get to. I don't know how we get there from here, particularly right now, but that's where we've got to get to. That McGill student said it absolutely right. It's a starting point. Yeah, leave it to the youth of today. Even though they walk and talk with their phones on the time, they're not all that bad. Um, Faisal, how do you view those those three statements? I'll give it a quickly again. Hamas's horrific attacks, terrorism, not resistance. Israel's a right to defend itself. They must minimize Palestinian casualties. Israelis and Palestinians all deserve to live in peace. I mean, at, at, at a surface level, yes, I mean, that, that, that's totally right in the, in the sense that Hamas act, uh, act on that date was, you know, targeting of civilians is the terrorism. Now, the issue becomes, uh, you know, we have to understand that there is a right to resist, okay? And I'm not justifying anything that's done, but under international law, there is a right to resist. And so that's something that has to be kind of taken into context. And it's, again, it's not, a, it's not a justification, it's an analysis. And remember that at the end of the day, terrorism is resorted to by people, you know, and there's imbalance of power. There's, there's a military strong, one of the world's strongest military powers occupying and carrying out settler colonialism, apartheid, not my words, but the words of even B'Tselem, which is an Israeli human rights group. When that happens, how do people resist? They may do things that, you know, remember Mandela, Nelson Mandela was considered a terrorist at one time. The very founding of Israel by the Haganah, by the Stern Gang, by Irgun, these were all terrorist entities which later merged and became the IDF, which later merged and became the Likud party, right? Right now, the sitting government, Netanyahu's government, were initially, if you can research this, it were members of terrorist organizations, right? So people do this. Unfortunately, I do not justify it. I do not condone it. But the reality is terrorism is a political definition, right? So, yes, wow. some countries, Canada has classified uh, Hamas is a terrorist organization. The United States has classified Hamas as terrorist. Internationally, they're not. Now, there's debate and discussion about this. But of course, killing any civilian, whether it's done by Israeli government, whether it's done by Hamas, is terrorist and must be condemned by all. I think it's interesting on Mandela, and uh, I love my Nelson Mandela discussion, Steve. I'd make the point. He, he critics on on the I call it the far right now. I don't even think we used that word when he was alive. That phrase thought he was a communist, thought he was a terrorist. The people on the left said, 
you're just way too eager. You're not aggressive enough. You're, you're almost, this is almost a Martin Luther King, Malcolm X thing. You're too eager to negotiate. You're too eager to reconcile with the supporters of, of South African apartheid. So my point is, you no, even a, even a global icon is not going to please everybody all the time. And you'll never come to universal agreement on these things. No, that's true. And I well remember Margaret Thatcher saying that she didn't really want to be very helpful when it came to getting rid of, when it came to putting sanctions on South Africa, because she thought Nelson Mandela was a communist and right. did not want to be in league with him. Um, look, I think the interesting thing, actually, let me rephrase that. I don't know how interesting it is, but if we want to talk history here, the fact of the matter is back in the 1940s, the United Nations came together. They decided to create two states in the land that is now disputed, one for the Jews, one for the Arabs. The Jews said yes, the Arabs said no, and five countries, neighboring countries invaded. I, I, we are all, everybody's paying the price, but particularly the people in the region for what happened uh, back when the partition plan went mm. before the United Nations back in the 1940s. I, I understand the math that, that Faisal just uh, introduced, which, which is to say, yes, Israel has one of the strongest armies in the world. Uh, on the other hand, you know, 9 million Jews are surrounded by 350 million Arabs. And that is one of the reasons why they have decided over there yeah. that they need a strong military. We could go on forever here, Greg, but the McGill kids got it right. Yeah, that's where we need to focus. Let me slide this to a couple other points of conversation I want to get to in the last four minutes. I'm fascinated by this. I, I, I'd love to see 24-7 coverage of it. There's a, there's a conference coming in San Francisco, and Chinese President Xi Jinping is coming there. But it's that's one thing. It's another in that San Francisco has cleaned itself up, litter, tent communities, people experiencing homelessness. So it shows it can be done. I love this explanation. You guys will as well. You'll both crack a smile. Here's Gavin Newsom, California governor, explaining why they've done what they've done on their streets anytime you put on an event by definition you know you have people over your house you're going to clean up the house you have 21 world leaders you got tens of thousands of people coming from all uh, around the globe uh, what an opportunity to showcase the world's most extraordinary place san francisco I mean, Faisal, that's first of all, we can debate the San Francisco thing over uh, over uh, <laughs> lunch and a drink. The second thing is that's maddening for people to hear that and go, it's that easy to clean up Toronto, Vancouver, Portland, New York. That's maddening to think we're doing it for a Chinese dictator and we don't do it for the people that live and pay taxes there. Exactly. I mean, that's uh, that's the reality. I mean, I, I I spent a lot of time in Los Angeles and I just remember before the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was well, uh, been walking in the streets and then you see all these tents and then all of a sudden just a few days before everything is cleaned up completely and i said to my wife like, wow this is how, how is this possible and then within two days later everything's back to to normal so the the, the ability is there but uh newsom's uh hands are kind of tied in the sense that there was a court there's a court decision that basically they have to walk a very fine line the court decision basically mm-hmm. says you know they, they can't interfere in these situations uh, because, you know, you can't criminalize people who are unhoused, uh, who have a lack mm-hmm. of adequate temporary housing. And then there's mental health issues involved here, too, because even when you do provide them housing, they don't want to be in those places, right? So it, it's a complicated question, but it can be done if there's a political will to do it. Steve, we won't be the first wiseacres to suggest maybe Toronto should host the uh, Chinese dictator just to get things, just to get some <laughs> construction on King, Queen, Jarvis, uh, the gardener. It doesn't matter. W- when you hear that, like, I get people being enraged going, we live here every day and we pay taxes. 
It is amazing what's possible when, uh, yeah, when somebody important uh, decides to go come over and visit the house. But I've got a, a slightly different take on this. This is a crucially important meeting, and it's important because I know a lot of China watchers right now are very, very nervous with the world's attention focused on the Middle East that China will decide to be opportunistic and and do something that would put world peace in even greater jeopardy right now. Yeah. I don't know invading Taiwan. I don't know. So, uh, you know, I. I if they want to clean up the house before company comes over, okay, that's that's all fine. But let's hope something really important and useful comes out of this meeting, which is further steps towards peace and China not being opportunistic and taking opportunity, taking advantage of this moment in world history. Yeah, first meeting in six years between a U.S. president and uh, the Chinese leader. Guys, I got to leave it there. Thanks so much. Let's do this again, and I appreciate you both making the time so early in the morning. Thanks so much. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, Faisal. Good to meet you. Thank you as well.